This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into the BearCast on this Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com, also 365 Sports. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grudhafer of Sikkim365.com and Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well. And hope you're having a good week as we have some coaching hires to talk about after a week of coaching losses. Also, basketball continues on as it winds down the regular season, so we will get into all that, plus uh, baseball uh, already dealing uh, with some pretty heavy uh, attrition on their roster due to injuries very early on in the season, so it's been a rough start for Mitch Thompson and company as they begin uh, year two under his, uh, I guess, eyes, and uh, we'll get into all that as well, but uh, hope you're having a good one, and thanks for joining us if you're joining us live uh, on YouTube, please hit that like and subscribe button on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page. And if uh, you're listening to us after the fact, please find a way to go and do that, as well as 365 Sports on YouTube. Uh, we would appreciate you. But uh, Grayson, uh, last week, a lot of coaching losses to talk about. And this week, as we will get into uh, some good news on that front, uh, as it appears Dave Aranda's moved pretty quickly. But how are we doing this week? Doing good. I mean, you know, last night I got to watch that TCU game, and we're going to talk about that. Baylor beating TCU on the road. Uh, a lot of fun there, and actually this weekend I'm going to go to Foster Pavilion for the first time when Baylor takes on Kansas. So a lot of excitement on the basketball side of things. We'll see if they can um, turn this season into a successful one. But, yeah, I mean, this has been a, a very entertaining week and a half, I would say, and for a variety of reasons, good and bad, uh, with all the, the news about this coaching shuffle and Rarely do you see this in February, but it's what it is um, for Baylor at this point. So lots to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, so let's dive into it. It appears that all three coaching vacancies on the staff have been filled, but it is a matter of getting them made official as uh, the first of those three hires was official yesterday as the school actually put out its press release, put out the story on its website that Mason Miller is the new Baylor offensive line coach. Uh, he joins the Bears from Tarleton State, where he was most recently as the offensive coordinator, uh, but did spend some time prior to that uh, uh, around. It's not as though he's coming straight over from Tarleton State, so we can dive into his background a little bit, but uh, there are air raid connections when you're looking at what Jake Spavital does and what Mason Miller has done in the past. He is a Mike Leach guy. Uh, going back through his resume, was at, uh, was it Washington State or Mississippi State that he was at? Uh, he, he was at Mississippi yeah, State. Mississippi yeah. State, um, and then he was at Washington State before that. Yes, yeah. and so he's been kind of along the road with uh, Mike Leach in years past. Uh, rest in peace uh, to the late Mike Leach, but uh, there is a tie-in there. If you're like Tarleton State, uh, you have to kind of look past that on the resume, although not that there's not a lot of great coaches. That's a hotbed, Tarleton State, for college graduates that turn out to be high school and college coaches. A lot of coaches come from that area, um, but I know for fans, you're looking at losing a guy to Alabama, and you're replacing him with a guy from Tarleton State, so it's kind of like at first going, huh, but then you look deeper and you realize, okay, this makes a lot of sense. So Mason Miller, 
uh, the new Baylor offensive line coach. Uh, what are your thoughts, I guess, starting here and, and moving through uh, the three vacancies turned new coaches here in Waco? Well, I think the first place to start is how good of a fit he is with Jake Spavital. I mean, you look through his track record, he has been, I mean, associated with so many good offenses. And that's really what stands out when you kind of look through his track record. Uh, five, um, or top five offenses at four different stops, which just, I mean, that just tells you he's had production no matter what the roster looks like, uh, no matter the changes that he's had to make as far as, you know, moving to different locations, whether it's southeastern Louisiana, uh, McMurray, Tarleton State. And then you look at kind of more recent Nevada, Washington State, and Mississippi State were kind of those um you know, those power five Mississippi State and uh, Washington State, of course. But yeah, I mean, working under Mike Leach, you know he's got familiarity with this scheme, uh, air raid spread type, um, has had a lot of success, especially protecting the quarterback. And that's really stood out to me at Washington State and Mississippi State. Did a great job at protecting the quarterbacks there, um, not giving up tackles for loss, not giving up sacks. Um have been keys. And if you go through and look at those stops, you look at PFF and you see that, you know, they've graded out extremely well blocking for a passer. And if, if, you know, Daquan Finn can get that kind of protection, I think you got to feel pretty good about what they can be uh, going into next year. And obviously it's a huge area of concern uh, with Baylor following last season, protecting the quarterback. Uh, One area that I do think we kind of need to look at it. And, you know, it's tough to really figure out because obviously the head coach dictates a lot of the scheme that you're going to run. But the running game hasn't exactly been the focal point um, for his offenses there at Mississippi State and Washington State, but at Tarleton it was. So I'm very curious kind of how that changes. Obviously, this is mainly Jake Spavitol's offense, but I'm curious how they kind of do just getting back to showing the ability to be really physical up front and run the football. Yeah, if they can do that, that would be a great sign because it's been uh, at least two seasons since we've seen any kind of run game that's able to put its foot down and kind of dictate things. Uh, Maybe early on, two seasons ago, before they hit the midway point, and then everything's fallen apart basically ever since then. So been a little while since they've um, been authoritative on the uh, offensive side when it comes to running the ball. They've not been able to really dictate their own terms for quite a while now, so... Um, That is an area to watch, but if you're looking for them to throw the ball around and, you know, get into the real air raid and and all that comes with that, then this is a hire that makes a lot of sense. But, uh, yeah, you definitely want to have a a run game to uh, switch things up, and especially with the stable of backs that you have, you don't want that going to waste. So that will be an interesting element to see how that's incorporated and see where Mason Miller's offensive line fits in as far as uh, run blocking and establishing that goes. Yeah, and I mean, I I will say, you know, there was a lot of pushback about, you know, uh, Coach Cap when he got hired, a lot of people saying, oh, you know what, what's that going to look like? Is he actually a good coach? You brought that up, I think, last week. Just, you know, the Michigan State fans kind of being like, oh, he's not very good. And I, I think there was a lot of reaction, you know, how's he going to do? But I will say, I think on this hire in particular, a lot of people seem very optimistic about it. And and I think because there's more familiarity with him and kind of what he's done around uh, very historical coaches, I would say. I even got a message from a uh, a current a head coach at a, uh, a football program, and he was telling me that this is a really good hire. And so I just think, like, there's a seems to be a lot more optimism about this hire from a lot of people, and I haven't seen as much negative like there was some with Coach Cap. 
Yeah, the uh, Kapilovic, uh, Kapilovic, Kapilovic, uh, his hire was, yeah, not necessarily um, well-received. Also, it wasn't panned. It was just yeah. sort of like whatever. Like people, I think, basically were just like, don't know much about him. Whatever, let's give it a chance and see what it looks like. But with this one, it seemed like maybe it's the Tarleton State tie-in or just uh, the air raid aspect of it. But uh, it did seem to be, I guess, a little bit more warmly received. So uh, if that leads to better football in the long run, then uh, thank you, Alabama. And if it doesn't, then you know we'll wonder if Alabama threw a little bit of a wrench in the tire before this thing could really get going the way Dave Aranda had envisioned it. But it seems like... Uh, he scrambled given the uh, bad hand dealt last week with all of a sudden losing three assistant coaches. Uh, he's scrambled and made out pretty well on the other side, and this was the first of three hires uh, as they again start to become official and are actually released by the school. This is the only one so far actually confirmed by the school, uh, this particular hire of Mason Miller. But, um, yeah, it seems like it's going over pretty well. So hopefully that translates to on-the-field action. Meanwhile, Uh, They had to continue on. I mean, there's two more spots still left to fill when it came to uh, this coaching staff and spring ball uh, now less than three weeks away at this point. Uh, You knew that uh, you were also looking for an inside linebackers coach as you lost uh, Christian Robinson to Alabama just like you had lost uh, Kapilovich off the offensive line. So that was that double dip to Tuscaloosa, and it appears that Jamar Chaney will be the name replacing Christian Robinson as Baylor's inside linebackers coach. And Chaney, a guy who I saw some pretty good, I guess, reaction to uh, initially um, as he comes over from Western Kentucky, uh, which is a school that they dipped into this past offseason when they grabbed Kendrick Simpkins, the safety out of the transfer portal. So some familiarity there. And Simpkins actually had like an emoji reaction uh, that was, uh, I don't forget, it was eyeballs or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that was a, that was a, good reaction to seeing Jamar Chaney added as uh, reportedly the new inside linebackers coach so there's at least one guy on the defensive side that he'll be around who's giving it a thumbs up basically and uh, not going to doubt Dave Aranda's choices on defense not really doubting his choices at all anyways I think he knows good coaches it's a matter of can the whole puzzle come together and that's what remains to be seen but um, he clearly Wasted little time, and and I like the way that he's approached all this. But uh, Jamar Chaney, the new inside linebackers coach, coming over from Western Kentucky, right? So I mean, the complete opposite, I would say, from Mason Miller, who's got you know twenty five years of experience. You're bringing him in because you need him to provide um, stability and coaching and technique to the offensive line. You're not necessarily looking around at you know is Mason Miller going to be the best recruiter? That's not really what that hire was all about. It was mainly about, okay, can he get it done on the field? Can he turn this offensive line unit around? Now you look at Jamar Chaney, and it really feels like this is all about um, a guy who's got a strong recruiting profile, was a recruiting coordinator at Florida. Um, so you know that, that that there's definitely something there as far as his ability to recruit. He's His age, he's not old at all. Uh, going to relate really well with the players. Going to relate really well with recruits. Um, and then he's got the ability and the upside to learn around Dave Randa and all these other coaches as this, you know, as an up-and-comer. A guy that you're going to try to mold and build into being um, a really good coach and reach his ceiling as a coach. So I, I really like what they did here. Baylor's got to address the linebacker position the 2025 recruiting class, which means they have to be able to recruit at a high level. 
I think Cheney's going to bring that in. Um, and then again, I, I think he's going to do a, a more than adequate job working alongside Dave Aranda with the inside linebackers um, as they try to get that group figured out after a really, really tough season that they had a year ago. They had to replace Christian Robinson with the guy that could recruit, and I think they did that with Jamar Cheney. Yeah, he played in the NFL for a handful of teams, uh, spent a little bit of time in the pros, a short stint, but got a little taste of it, and uh, has since been bouncing around as a coach. Uh, started off as a head coach uh, in Florida at a high school there, West Centennial and St. Lucie, then became the assistant director of player personnel at Florida, was there for a year, senior defensive analyst at Mississippi State for a year. Uh, then went back to Gainesville and was a defensive analyst the last couple of years before then joining Western Kentucky a year ago where he was the uh, outside linebackers coach. So now he'll be moving in, but he's obviously been uh, bouncing around a little bit in this early stage of his coaching career. But this is one that uh, I saw um, received pretty good reviews from various coaches who are, are linked to Jamar Chaney or know of him. So his playing career, um, he's got a little taste of that SEC, being a Mississippi State guy. Um, so a lot of Mississippi State crossover uh, unintentionally here. But, um, yeah, uh, Jamar Chaney, the new inside linebackers coach, has not been released officially, but I would imagine that's just – uh, simply the same process with Mason Miller where it can break on Twitter, but they have a process in hiring to go through with, you know, got to sign papers and got to get it all official and contract official. And so that's what takes a little bit of a of a delay in that news releasing. So I'd imagine we'll hear something uh, from Baylor on Jamar Chaney here in short order. But, uh, yeah, inside linebackers, uh, a group that uh, – you know, everybody can stand to improve from last year. That's for sure. No matter what position we're talking about, but uh, on defense, uh, you're really looking at uh, every group there needing to to take a step forward this season because the last couple of years uh, are just not going to cut it, and it's going to be a bloodbath if that same type of defense shows up this season. Yeah, I mean, it's very tough to lose guys like Dylan Doyle and Trell Bernard, and they really haven't been able to replace those guys. Um, at all production wise I know Matt Jones had some flashes here and there but he just has not been consistent and they really need him to to be consistent going into next season they're really trying to revamp that room bringing in Keaton Thomas the Juco prospect Kylan Reed in the 2024 class and then trying to figure out what you're going to do with all these guys who had promise coming in but they've been given opportunities and haven't really you know risen to the occasion yet when you look at Carmelo Jones and Josh White and Tyrone Brown um you need those guys to emerge and they they definitely need a coach to to provide some technique and stability there so again this position is going to be heavily influenced by Dave Aranda and so for that reason I really think you know Jamar Chaney can come in and be a good coach but I think at the end of the day he's got to be able to recruit this position and I really think he's going to be able to do that so there is hire number two and then there is hire number three reportedly coming uh, yesterday as Dave Aranda looking to fill out the defensive line position, uh, replacing Dennis Johnson, who joined the Baltimore Ravens franchise as their new defensive line coach. A nice step up for him. So, again, not as though you're – I don't really – I'm not a sunshine pumper. I think everybody here uh, understands and and realizes that. But, you know, I I think, you know, you can try to put lipstick on a pick sometimes or try to to, – to put some sun on some situations, but while I don't totally agree that like, well, it's, 
it's a positive that you lost coaches to these great programs. I, I think that's like really spinning it because you don't want to lose coaches you just hired. I mean, under any circumstances, really. But you are losing them to Alabama and the Baltimore Ravens. It's not as though they're going to some measly job somewhere else. I mean, these were – if you're going to lose guys, this was the way to lose them. The timing mm-hmm. sucks, but it, if you're going to lose people, you'd much rather lose them to the Baltimore Ravens or Alabama Crimson Tide than losing them to just some inside-the-Big right. 12 type of a job or a lateral move. So uh, I do think that that has been something that is uh, – you know, certainly on Dave Aranda's side, and, and he's pivoted and reacted well to all this. Yeah, and I think it speaks more to the ability of Dave Aranda to make certain hires as opposed to it being a good thing for Baylor. You know what I mean? Like, it does speak well that, hey, Dave Aranda got a guy that is really wanted by Alabama, especially Coach Cap, who hadn't even coached it down at Baylor, and Alabama's over there. We need to get this guy. Like, it does speak to that, but it, it's definitely not a good thing. You didn't even no. get these guys to coach. I mean, he didn't even coach I just, for you. I saw a lot yeah. of trying to, and I get it, it's people trying to rationalize and find the good in it, but it's like, well, at least we, it's like, no, there's no at no, least no, no. you lost him. Like, there's no good to it, but I, I, I am going to give a little bit of leeway of like, okay, I can kind of see where if you are going to lose them, then yeah, you yeah. lost them to Alabama and to the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens, but um, I think he's pivoted well, and, and now this third hire that he's made um, and actually kind of crossing back over with Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer taking two of his coaches, and so he takes one from Kalen DeBoer's old staff. Not quite the same thing, but reportedly, uh, Anoki Brechterfield is the new Baylor defensive line coach replacing Dennis Johnson. Uh, he was the defensive line coach at Washington on Kalen DeBoer's college football uh, playoff staff. Uh, and a part of their defensive, uh, I guess, uh, prowess and, and positives and uh, just showings last year. Uh, the Huskies, very good uh, on defense, just very good in general, obviously, beating Texas and going to play for the national title uh, in the CFP a year ago and, and just falling short uh, in the championship game. Uh, but Enoki Brechterfield uh, coming over from the Huskies to the Bears. And uh, what do you think about this particular move? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, Dennis Johnson, I think, is a very good coach, and I think that that is a pretty big loss for Baylor. Um, I I just, he did some really good things. I will say last year was not his best showing, partly due to injuries, partly due to guys just not quite developing the way they needed to. Um, I mean, they were basically non-existent last year on the defensive line. As far as making noise and making plays that you remember, it was few and far between. Correct. But then you also look at, you know, 2021 and you're like, oh, they were really good. In 2022, they had moments as well where they were pretty good. But yes, in general, they underperformed. And I do think that, you know, you lose a guy like that, you still got to make a really good hire. And this is a really good hire. Um, you know, Inoki Brechterfield is a guy who's had success at multiple stops. He coached with Dave Rand at Wisconsin for, I believe, one year. Um, Might have been two, but I think it was one uh, there in Wisconsin. He coached at Pitt with Aaron Donald. Um, Aaron Donald actually mentioned him, has mentioned him quite a bit as a guy who uh, was a big reason for his success. Specifically, kind of getting Aaron Donald to watch film, that's something that Aaron Donald has mentioned. And that's really interesting because I do think technically and just preparation-wise, the defense line definitely could take a big step and a good direction. And then, of course, uh, he spent time, at, I think, one year at Vanderbilt, and then, of course, his time at Washington, in which, I mean, they were terrible defensively, especially up front before he got there, he and Kalen DeBoer. And he comes in and just has a massive 
impact on the defensive line for Washington. Um, really, really good stuff. I think he's just technically awesome. He's recruited pretty well. I think he evaluates talent exceptionally well. Um, but the biggest area where he's going to be just a huge impact is the development side, which is huge. I mean, look at Baylor's roster. I know uh, we're going to get a question in the mailbag that's asking, you know, who is he recruited? And there are some names on there for sure, NFL guys. But the biggest thing for Baylor, I mean, look at their depth chart. I mean, they got, what, six guys who are red or eight guys who are redshirt freshmen or freshmen on the roster. Um, or redshirt sophomores or freshmen on the current roster. They got a lot of young guys, a lot of guys that need development, a lot of guys that need to just get better uh, and improve. And if they can do that, then they're going to be really solid along the defense line this year and for years to come. Um, I love this hire. I I think he's going to be perfect for what they need, as long as, of course, they're able to actually hire him. Um, We'll see how that plays out. But it's kind of similar to the Coach Cap thing where uh, he was at San Diego State this offseason and then got poached before even coaching it down there. Yeah, that was uh, something to mention is much like uh, Baylor's dealt with that, that's when you especially get later on in the coaching cycle, you have guys who have already taken jobs and they don't even make it to spring ball. So, you know, one week you're cursing it and the next week you're celebrating the the same thing. And so uh, in the case of Anoki Brechterfield, is there any concern about a hang-up in the hiring process here, just the way you phrase that, as just some hoops to jump through still? Is, no, I, I know I, it's not like – official and that's yeah. why I keep saying like until Baylor makes it official it's it's reports but uh, is there any reason to believe there's a hang up there no I, not necessarily a hang up I think this one is just earlier than the other two and hasn't even been announced technically by anyone like I think one person said that they're closing in on or whatnot so I do think it's going to happen but I just also think it, it's pretty wise to just say okay this one's a little bit further I don't think it's quite as far along as Cheney and Miller are or well Miller's done but I don't think it's quite as far along as Cheney is at this time all right so Enoki Brechterfield looking like the top target for the defensive line coach if not uh, the guy the guy Uh, so we'll see again when the school releases that and then it all becomes officially official but uh, that is what you're looking at now Uh, Mason Miller officially announced uh, Anoki Brechterfield and Jamar Chaney. Chaney further along, so just kind of like trains rolling in. Mm-hmm. You know, their arrival times. Uh, you've got one in the station secured and, and locked away, another one who's rounding the corner and should be pulling in here pretty soon, and then another one that's uh, we still haven't seen the smoke at the top of the locomotive just yet, so a little bit of a ways to go with Brechterfield, but um, we will see there because that is the latest, and that's the one higher that seemingly remains kind of in limbo um, mm-hmm. as far as just not uh, all the way done to where you can close the notebook if you're Dave Aranda and put away the hiring you know, manual for a little while and, and get back to football and football only here with spring coming up in about uh, two and a half weeks or so from now. So there you go. That's where the coaching staff sits at this point, um, nearly complete um, with names across the board and uh, we will see uh, what this all looks like when the dust settles, but uh, a lot of work in a short amount of time for Dave Aranda and for any critiques about uh, just in general where everything sits. I think uh, this is one area where you can certainly applaud how quickly he's moved and look by really with no choice, of course, but uh, still it's admirable how he's been able to identify, in some cases, a second round of candidates. And I'm sure in some ways the first hiring rounds helped out, like especially with O-line of, hey, I've already gone through this. Who was next on my list? Okay, Mason Miller. Let's let's go down to him now because 
Chris Kapilovich uh, is is already off to Alabama before coaching to practice. So uh, maybe that actually helped the process in the long run. We'll have to ask Dave Aranda about that here in a couple of weeks when we get an opportunity to talk to him again. But uh, we will have no shortage of storylines uh, to talk to Dave Aranda about when that time comes. So there is the coaching staff news. Meanwhile, uh, recruiting pretty quiet at the moment. Uh, not, I don't think really much to to really write home about, but anything uh, else notes-wise on football you'd like to pass along? No, not a ton. I mean, we're getting close to spring ball, uh, less than a month away there, so that's obviously an exciting time period. Recruiting-wise, you know, you're starting to enter camp season here coming up in March, so we'll get kind of a little bit more news and notes coming up. Uh, I guess it's in two weeks, the Under Armour camp in Dallas. I'll be at that, and so kind of I'll have some notes from there. But outside of that, you know, um, official visits are starting to get scheduled. Um, So we'll see kind of how that takes shape. I know that I think last week or a week ago we talked about Keelan Abrams, the DeSoto uh, outside linebacker being recruited as an inside linebacker. He's going to take an official visit to Baylor in April. Uh, But he's the only one that I've kind of talked to that I've noticed is looking to schedule one for April. Uh, Everyone else, it looks like it'll be in the summer, which has been typical of Baylor to have those June June official visits. So probably have two or three weekends in there where they have guys on visits. But outside of that, that's pretty much it right now. Everything's kind of focused on getting ready for spring ball and um, still recruiting, but it's just not, not the same without visits. Yes, and uh, this summer, uh, I don't know an exact date, but I would think there's going to be some crossover with guys and official visits and the new facilities being opened up, or that should start to kind of overlap uh, here in the next few months. So that'll be fun uh, as the new field house uh, gets its final you know, touches put on before the grand opening here in a few months. And uh, again, don't have an exact date. It's why I'm being kind of vague, but it was always scheduled for this summer. So needs um, to be done for those visits. Early June yeah. would be ideal. Yeah. If, if they can pull that off, not sure if that'll be the case or not. We'll have to talk to Mac Rhodes about that next opportunity that we get. Uh, we'll get an update there, but uh, that's pretty much it for football. Just waiting for a couple of the staff hires to become official. And then it's, Hopefully quiet for a little bit just because you are about to get into spring ball and it's not going to be quiet for about a month. So for Dave Aranda, hopefully he can have like a week of peace and quiet and then uh, get back to the football side of things. But we'll update uh, news and notes as necessary and the football conversation never stops over on the message boards. Uh, so if you haven't already, if you're a Baylor fan, become a premium member over on Sikkim365.com and keep the conversation constantly going. Meanwhile, there's a lot of conversation over there right now about basketball, as you'd imagine, getting down to the final games of the Big 12 regular season. Just three games remaining for the Baylor men uh, who have been on a, a little bit of an up and down, I guess, week since we last talked about them. Uh, the number 15 team in the country sliding a little bit after two losses last week. A uh, loss to BYU, 78-71. to The top 25 Cougars, uh, not a bad loss, a tough place to play in Provo, great crowd, and uh, they just had had a little bit more in the end when it came to that matchup. So Baylor falls there. You're like, okay, it's on the road at Provo, tough place, not a big deal. Uh, That's going to happen. And then you turn around, and there was Saturday. Uh, You host the number two ranked Houston Cougars, uh, Houston now the uh, number two team in the country, and you've got them uh, rolling into town for first big-time Big 12 matchup between the two programs, and they 
proceed to blow your doors off in the first half. And then uh, Scott Drew makes some adjustments, gets his team back in the game, and they make things very interesting in the second half, pushing the game into overtime after overcoming their early deficit. And then uh, all for naught uh, as they fall in overtime, 82-76. to as Houston pulls away and finishes off the Bears for a huge win for Kelvin Sampson and company and a second loss on the week for the Bears. And uh, then the third game, uh, since we've last talked to you, they turn around and last night get back to winning, and they needed to after dropping two last week. At TCU, a team that rolled into Foster Pavilion not that long ago and beat them in a thriller of a game, uh, they get a measure of revenge getting a win in Fort Worth, 62-54. Uh, lops- more lopsided there at the end, and then they just had some boneheaded plays and some free throws and the the score got a little bit closer I think than it really showed Um, but regardless they do still pull out the victory and uh, they needed to because three straight losses would have been no bueno so uh, lost to BYU you can stomach that one lost to Houston just tough but could have been really ugly if you had not responded in in, uh, the second half the way that you did and then finally the win over TCU Grayson so one and two since we've last joined everybody here, and that's good enough to have them at number 15 in the country, but now 20 and eight uh, overall and fourth place in the Big 12 now at nine and six. You've got Houston at 11 and three, Iowa State at 10 and four. And so with three games remaining, I mean, Iowa State still has a chance, but the odds of uh, Houston. Uh, being caught by anybody else or, or over, uh, pretty effectively over, other than Iowa State, just one game back. Uh, they do have a shot, but again, you're you're getting down to, you're going to need Houston to lose first, and that's easier said than done. So uh, Houston on top, Iowa State a game back at 10-4, and four, Kansas at 9-5, and five, and then there's Baylor at 9-6, and six, Texas Tech at 8-6. and six. Uh, rounds out the top five right now in the Big 12. So there's the week at hand. Uh, unpack as you wish. Yeah, so before we talk about kind of the upcoming stuff, let, let's dive a little bit deeper into this. The BYU game was so disappointing. And I know a lot of people sat there and said, you know, Houston's going to win the conference regardless of, you know, if Baylor beats BYU. And that's fine to say that if you think Houston's the best team. But if you look through the history of the Big 12 there have been teams who have gotten a share of the Big 12 championship who weren't the best team in the conference. I mean, we've seen Kansas, their ridiculous run. They weren't the best team in the league all of those years, but they found ways to win the games that mattered and found a way to end up tied for first place. That BYU game felt like a moment where, you know, Baylor is an elite program, go in there, beat BYU, come back home, beat Houston, and then you are in first place in the Big 12. And... You can say, oh, well, Baylor's going to lose, you know, two of their next four. You can say that, but what if Baylor goes three and one and then they end up with a share of the Big 12 title and it's like, whoa, how'd that happen? That stuff happened. So I was pretty disappointed in that loss to BYU because it did close the door on Baylor having any shot at uh, getting a share of the Big 12 title. uh, And it basically cemented Houston as, you know, the Big 12 title winners. I mean, they're they're at least going to get a share of it at this point. So again, Disappointed in the BYU effort because I felt like that game was there for them, and instead they showed up and decided to play no defense at all. I mean, BYU literally just shot layups or three-pointers the whole game, and Baylor couldn't do anything about it. I mean, backdoor cuts, it just was a really, really tough game to watch, and I think you you again saw the problem with Baylor defensively as far as they can't play man-to-man defense, and for that reason, they have to run that 1-3-1, and if you face a team that can shoot threes, you're going to be in trouble. 
and that's what happened against BYU. So again, disappointing effort. They show up against Houston, and in the first half, they play terrible. I mean, down 41-25 at halftime, it really wasn't even that close. I mean, they just got bullied uh, out. I mean, just manhandled, honestly, in that first half. Then they show up in the second half and do the complete opposite. Their defense adjusted. Uh, They took away the middle pass a lot better. Didn't give up as many layups. And really, if it wasn't for... I don't even know at what point in the game it was, but Emmanuel Sharp went on this run where I think he had like eight or nine points within this three-minute stretch, and that was really the only thing that saved Houston from not losing by double digits to Baylor. I mean, it just, I mean, it, it really was like that in that second half where Baylor was just dominating that game, and then Sharp just had a couple moments that allowed Houston to just score enough uh, to maintain a lead. You get late in that game, Eves Misi gets the... Uh, they and one, and then misses the free throw. It goes to overtime, and then Misi had those two just really costly plays. Um, had a wide-open dunk and threw the ball over the backboard. Um, and then, of course, Jacoby Walter makes a really tough bank shot, but Eves Misi comes in and dunks it instead of just letting the ball go in the hoop. That, re- that also really did cost Baylor in this game. So, unfortunate there. Baylor had a great opportunity to get a huge win over Houston, but I love how they bounced back against TCU um, this week. I mean, last night. They played great. Um, They should have won that game by 15 points like you alluded to. Uh, They shot the ball well. They played their best defensive game of the year by far. Um, Now again, that's against a TCU team that can't really shoot the ball, so the 1-3-1 was effective. Um, But in general, I was happy to see that performance. Jacoby Walters playing a lot better. Jalen Bridges continues to be on fire. Um, And really, you know, Yves Misi had a great bounce back game as well. I just continue to sit there and go, hey, you know, this season is probably going to be determined by what Ray J. Dennis you get in the play, in the uh, tournament because the guy has moments where he is a great creator for everyone, and he has to be. He's the only one that creates really well for other players. But the problem is, is he just has these moments where he turns the ball over inexcusably. I mean, just throwing the ball in, in situations where guys are going to drop the ball or turn the ball over, throwing the ball right to the other team. I just... I, it, it drives you crazy because you see these moments of brilliance and then you also see these moments of frustration. But in general, a great bounce back by Baylor and uh, a great moment for them to uh, kind of build on what they're trying to build towards going into the postseason. Yeah, the uh, defense has been a question mark uh, a lot uh, this year at, at different times. And so that was uh, nice to see uh, their efforts last night. Uh, Bridges, uh, just a, a, an electric factory, especially early on, and been fun to watch these uh, young pups in, uh, in Missy and uh, also Jacoby Walter at various points uh, this year. But, um, yeah, uh, Jacoby Walter, a big part of that win last night. And, uh, yeah, Ray J. Dennis kind of the X factor as far as maybe how far this team can go. And still a lot of debate about how good this team actually is. Um, they're clearly not the best team in the Big 12. That's okay. Uh, that's no shame. You could be like the third best team in this league and maybe be like the fourth best team in the country for all we know uh, right now. But how will it all work uh, upcoming? Well, the men have three games remaining. And I said three like it's across the board, but uh, they're actually a game ahead of everybody. So uh, a lot of teams like Houston has four games remaining, for example. But, um, yeah, that would have been huge to get that win on Saturday against Houston. But at least they made it respectable and uh, made it a game because, man, that looked like it was going to be really bad yeah. uh, early on and uh, a real disappointment for the people at Foster Pavilion, but instead it turned into uh, quite the thriller. So they've showed that they can hang with amongst the best in the country, and it's just been a matter of you know endings here and there from uh, why they're where they are in the top 
quarter of the Big 12 versus competing and actually being like number one or number two and, you know, getting into the, the final race here. So a couple of results cost them, put them back in the pack, but they're still sitting in a really good spot. Um, but, man, you've got Kansas coming up next. Uh, that's on the horizon now for the men this Saturday at Foster Pavilion, a noon tip-off, so that ought to be a lot of fun. Uh, you're going to that game, I think you yeah. said. Uh, then Texas at home uh, two days later, so Foster closing out its first year with a bang as of the two remaining games are Kansas and Texas, and obviously that Texas game the last time, I think in basketball they're going to play each other. It just makes too much sense. You're too close to not play each other, and you're both good programs. It'd be stupid to not play each other when you're – an hour and a half away. So I, I think uh, in football, it's going to be a while before we see the Bears and the Longhorns. But in basketball, I just think it'd be stupid on, on UT's part as much as Baylor's part to not have them still playing uh, somewhat regularly. But this is going to be the last time at Foster for the foreseeable future. Um, and then, you know, we'll get into Texas Tech because they'll close it out at the end of the year. We can talk about that more next week. But big week upcoming with the, the Jayhawks and the Longhorns both coming to Waco. Yeah, so before I unpack that, I just kind of want to give everyone a, a frame of reference for where Baylor is at right now. There are four seed according to Torvik, a three seed according to Bracket Matrix, and then a four seed according to Joe Lenardi. Um, Joe Lenardi has them playing Vermont in the first round, and then they'd play the winner of Washington State and Samford. That would be in the Detroit Regional, which is Purdue's regional, um, as the one seed that is. And of course, Baylor did not have a great time in Detroit when they played there earlier this year, so I don't know if that would be uh, the best spot to play as they got destroyed by Michigan State in Detroit earlier this season, but that's where they're at right now. Also, keep in mind the double bye is now in play in the Big 12 tournament uh, because there's more teams. You need to be in the top four to get a double bye. Currently, they are, but they need to finish strong in order to do that. I think a two and one finish would likely um, get them to that double bye point. So, okay, so they got Kansas. Uh, that game is on Saturday. KU's 21 and six, nine and five in conference play. They play BYU tonight. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me about Kansas, and it's pretty obvious, is their road woes. And they've lost to UCF, West Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State, and Texas Tech all on the road. Baylor can't lose this game. I mean, that that just simply put, Baylor has to find a way to not lose games at home. Um, they've lost twice at home in Big 12 play. They should not lose again at home. And when you face a team like Kansas, who has struggled in conference play on the road, you got to find a way to get that done. Uh, KU is 15th in Kim Palm, one spot behind Baylor, uh, 37th in offense, 10th on defense, and currently they're a three seed, according to Torvik. So again, this is a situation where Baylor wins this game, and you might be flipping with Kansas on the 3-4 line um, at this point in the season, or at least moving yourself up to the three line. I do think a win in this game moves them squarely into the three seed um, position. I think they finally make that jump again uh, after the tough week that was, as you mentioned. And then they play Texas. Texas is 17-10, and 6-8 and eight in Big 12 play. Uh, they're 3-5 and five on the road. They got blown out by Kansas and Houston recently. They play Tech on the road tonight. I think they're probably going to lose that game. This feels like a Texas team that's just ready for the season to be over. I mean, I know they've won some games as well recently, but... 
they're just they're not very good and they shouldn't have beaten Baylor earlier this year. They're still fighting for their tournament lives and if they lose against Tech um, tonight and if they continue to struggle, Baylor's got a chance to really put the nail in the coffin there. And I'm curious if they're able to take advantage of that. Texas according to Ken Palm is 36th in the country, 28th on offense, 53rd on defense and an 8 seed right now according to Torvik. So this is an opportunity and elite programs take advantage of these opportunities. They need to go 2-0 and against these two teams, set up a big matchup in Lubbock, but they need to find a way to win these games if they truly are an elite program in my eyes. So there you go, a big uh, final three-game stretch in the regular season for Scott Drew and the men, but a very important uh, win last night against TCU. They really needed that to snap the back-to-back losses and not make that a streak, so they get the job done there against the rival Frogs, and uh, now uh, a fun little... Way to close it out. Uh, Kansas coming up before the final week of regular season play. Um, so we'll see what the Jayhawks uh, have uh, in store and vice versa with the Bears. But uh, ought to be a great one at Foster Pavilion on Saturday. Uh, meanwhile, the women uh, hanging around, hanging in the top 25 and uh, hanging on by the skin of their teeth, uh, you know, and really uh, uh, an incredible win uh, over West Virginia uh, the other night uh, to ensure that uh, they kind of keep hanging around right now. But uh, for the Baylor women, it's now three wins in a row. They beat Texas Tech last Sunday and then turned around last week and uh, got a win over Kansas at Foster Pavilion, 69-61. And then on Saturday, 66-65, win over West Virginia, had a double-digit lead and uh, had uh, been lost that lead and uh, found yourself down by one after a big West Virginia three. Uh, The Bears then turned the ball over with uh, less than 10 seconds left to play. And then West Virginia, uh, J.J. Quinterly uh, can't control the inbounds pass in the backcourt, and uh, they have to foul, and they foul uh, Jada Walker, uh, who goes to the free throw line and sinks Two free throws with less than five seconds left, and the Bears win. But it was actually Jana Van Geidenbeck had to come in for Jada Walker. Oh, that's Walker. right, yeah. And so she shot the two free that's throws right, yeah. pulled off the bench. Yeah, Van Geiden, the game. Yeah, Van Geidenbeek uh, comes off the bench, you're right, uh, to replace Jada Walker and hits the two free throws with less than five seconds left. Thank you for the yeah. correction. And they win 66-65. to 65. So uh, very dramatic, but a much-needed win to keep their – a streak going now, three games in a row. Uh, gut check uh, and big time under pressure performance for Van Geitenbeek uh, to come off uh, at the the chair and, and go make two free throws to win the game. Uh, pretty cool there, and uh, a great showing for just to think the team in general of just kind of relying on your teammates and and, and eking out a win uh, from the jaws of defeat, and that's very much what it looked like and. You know, you got to have your head on a swivel. So they did, and they were ready, and they were able to finish it and get a third win in a row, as I mentioned. So uh, that was big. And now uh, the Baylor women find themselves at 21-6 uh, and six overall. Still have, uh, obviously, some games to round out here uh, in the Big 12 schedule. Three, or excuse me, two games remaining for them. Cincinnati coming up later on tonight in Cincinnati, Ohio. And then they will come back to Waco on Sunday to Round out the uh, regular season schedule, taking on the Oklahoma State Cowgirls. So uh, the Baylor women on a nice little streak right now. And, um, you know, it's been a very up-and-down year, uh, but it's been one where I think, uh, you know, they've showed a lot of fight and they've kept themselves uh, in in a 
pretty competitive spot. Uh, not at the top of the standings like most people would, would want and prefer, but uh, in the mix. And uh, right now find themselves at sixth in the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma on top. Texas right there as well. Kansas State, uh, West Virginia, Iowa State. And uh, you've got the Bears there locked in at the number five spot with Iowa State at 10-6 and six in the conference. So... Two games to play, three wins in a row, and uh, what are your thoughts on the Baylor women? Yeah, they were playing with fire in this game. It was uh, three minutes left, and they were up by 10, and they allowed West Virginia to come back in this game. You mentioned J.J. Quinterly with the turnover. She also had 33 points in this game. She really propelled West Virginia to come back, but she had seven turnovers, including the most costly one late in the game there. Um you know, they're on a bit of a roll, right? Three in a row. They get an opportunity to play Cincinnati, who's currently 5-11 and 11 in the Big 12, and Oklahoma State, who's 6-10 and 10 in the Big 12. They got to find a way to win these two games. I mean, go in the season on a five-game winning streak, going into the Big 12 tournament, get yourself the possibility of, you know, maybe being the five seed in the tournament. Right now, they're the sixth seed. I think they could get up to the five seed if they can pass West Virginia. Um but yeah, I mean, if you finish twenty three and six going into the Big Twelve tournament, you got to be feeling pretty good about where you're at. Potentially move up a seed level to get to a four seed. Um, that would be great as well. So yeah, I mean, th- this is a nice season, I think, for Nikki Collin and company. I don't have huge expectations for them in the tournament. Um, maybe win a game or two, um, but I think when they play, a, you know, a top level team, I think it's going to be really tough for them. Even though they've shown they can beat those best teams, we saw it early in the season, but I don't think we've seen it as much recently. I, I don't think that's truly indicative of who the current team is um but very happy to see that very happy to see them continue to fight and that was definitely a moment winning that game on the road where you could see the celebration and the happiness that they're kind of playing with right now yeah they're playing with some joy so to speak um but yeah not the the teams of old that you feel like are you know skyrocketing towards a number one seed a number one overall seed um or just kind of sprinting their way towards a Big 12 championship. Uh, That's a lot more questionable with this group uh, right now, but showing a lot of fight, seeming to... uh to get along pretty well in a, in a group that loves each other. And uh, it was cool to see the Brittany Griner celebration a couple of weeks ago. And so um, there's some things to, to really like. I mean, they're just not – I guess the missing piece would be just as competitive – nationally as you would like um or even in the big 12 for that matter uh sitting six is not exactly where you want to be but i guess it's a matter of just giving it some more time but uh all you can do for right now is uh, just get in the tournament and try to make some noise and they're going to have the opportunity to do that both with the uh, big 12 and nationally so we'll see how they close things out but um yeah uh, good gritty uh, way to uh, finish off that game, even though you shouldn't have been in that position to begin with, with the large lead that you had there late. Um, still, uh, much it's like Kansas State winning their upteenth overtime game. Like you shouldn't have been in overtime, but sure beats losing in overtime. That would have been a disaster. And so that's kind of how I view that West Virginia game. So very interesting finish there, and uh, and a gutsy win by the. Uh, Baylor women. So. Yeah, and currently Baylor is a five seed, according to Joe Lenardi. They would play Drake in the first round and then Gonzaga, the winner of Gonzaga and Stony Brook. Again, a big reason why I'm mentioning try to get to the four seed line is because, remember, uh, in the women's game, if you're a top four seed, you get home court advantage for the first two rounds. So that would really be helpful to try to get to um, the Sweet 16, potentially. Yes, it would. So there they sit uh, with a couple of games to go, and uh, we will be uh, continuing to follow along with them as they close it on out here 
in these uh, in these final two. So there are all of the uh, catch-ups, I guess, and I suppose there is one more. Uh, I don't know how much we'll dabble in this because I don't know how much there's going to be to talk about, quite frankly. But uh, Baylor baseball, um, struggling mightily. I uh, just had what I believe is their third season-ending injury already. Yep. Um, is that correct? In yeah. like the first two weeks of play, I don't even know how that's possible. Um, but they have already been hit with a rash of injuries. And um, Hunter Simmons, the latest for Baylor baseball, the senior outfielder, season-ending leg injury announced uh, just yesterday. So, uh, like I said, I think that's the third season-ending injury that they've had up to this point from uh, this team and, and its, its first couple of weeks on the diamond. And so that's just... Uh, a tough pill to swallow, and it doesn't help that you're also losing games uh, as well. So it's a it's a double bitter pill to swallow. Now one and six on the year are Mitch Thompson and the Bears. They had the opening weekend, which uh, did not go very well. The zero uh, and three showing up at Globe Life Field, home of the World Series champion Texas Rangers, the reigning World Series champion Texas Rangers. But zero and three at the Shriners Classic. You at least see okay, Oregon, Nebraska, Tennessee. Those are all. Really good teams. They turned around last Tuesday and got their first win against Lamar. Uh, but then last weekend, uh, hosting number 22 Indiana, 8 uh, 4 loss, 6 1 loss, and then lost in uh, eight innings. Run rules 15 to 5. So they will be back at it at Baylor Ballpark on Wednesday uh, at 4 p.m. against Abilene Christian in a little midweek tilt before hosting Oral Roberts back at Baylor Ballpark. Um, but man, what a tough start to the season! One and six, and three season-ending injuries by my count. Uh, with Hunter Simmons being the latest, yeah, it's not great right now. I mean, one and six, like you mentioned, they just lost fifteen to five to Indiana on Sunday, and really got kind of destroyed by them in all three games. To be honest with you, now you get a chance against Abilene Christian. You get a three-game series against Oral Roberts, who I believe is four and three on the season. They're not great. Um, this is an opportunity to win some games coming up. These next four and then Dallas Baptist on March 5th before you start up a Big 12 play. So, again, a good opportunity here to try to create a, at least a little momentum going into Big 12 play because so far this year it has been uh, – there's not much momentum to speak of. And, honestly, it just feels like this team is going to have a repeat of what happened last year at this point. Yeah, it's hard to see uh, how it's going to get – you know, much worse when you start off at one and six and you've lost. And I, I say three, like I, they might even have like four season ending injuries. I know there's been a handful of them, yeah. uh, just injuries in general. Uh, let Levi Caraway uh, really break that down over on the website as far as the, the baseball specifics go. I'll admit I'm not up on, you know, each, uh, each little detail. Um, but man, that's, uh, that's rough, and so yeah, there's a there's a lot of time uh, left, but uh, you've got a, a pretty big hole developing already here early on. So uh, tough to see that, and we'll see. Uh, I guess uh, you know nothing to do but sit back and just watch and and take in what happens here over the next couple of months. But uh, yeah, not not ideal whatsoever. Uh, meanwhile, softball off to an eight and three start, so uh, they're still managing along pretty well. And I know big expectations rolling into this season. Uh, they were able to uh, get some nice wins out at the Mary Nutter Classic. Uh, go 
five and zero out at the uh, Mary Nutter Classic last week. Had wins over Oregon, Notre Dame, UC Riverside, UCLA, and Missouri. Three of those were top twenty five wins. So a pretty impressive showing there uh, for the softball program. And uh, they will host Morgan State in a Saturday doubleheader and then play them again on Sunday. So if you're looking for some softball out at Getterman, uh, Morgan State in town for three uh, coming up this weekend. So there is that as well. All right, uh, on to the mailbag and into some of your questions to close it out as we typically do each week. Scotty B., the Baylor King, have you seen a crazier finish in a basketball game like Baylor women's basketball ending against West Virginia on Saturday? Um, the sequence was Jada getting a steal at the end and a foul on the shot while Jada got hurt. Then Nikki Collin decided to get Jaden Jana Van Geitenbeek in to shoot free throws and made both in a stop on defense to win the win. Uh, yes, uh, they they did, and yes, uh, we we touched on that obviously, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen crazier finishes, but that was a pretty crazy one to your point, Scotty, and uh, was nearly a really ugly loss, but uh, instead a thrilling victory and. They needed that. Uh, that would have been that would have been tough otherwise. So yeah, very crazy though. You don't see that kind of a sequence very often. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean the Reggie Miller nine points in eight seconds or whatever it was. Same with T Mac against the Spurs. I mean the fourteen finals Ray Allen shot. I mean there, there's been some crazier finishes, but that one was pretty pretty special when in regards to Baylor. Um, also, don't forget West Virginia had a great look to win the game too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean just. In four seconds for them to get that kind of look was pretty pretty crazy. But, yeah, I mean, again, a huge win for uh, the women's basketball program. And, again, they were very excited about it and something that that was really cool to see because you kind of get nervous when you're having such a tumultuous up-and-down season, especially after the start they had, about just kind of where they're at mentally. But I think they're pretty positive still at this point in the year. Yeah, I mean, the the energy and the attitude seems to be good. It's uh, Again, it's just, you know, it's a little bit of adjustment. I know it's been a couple years since things changed, but it's just a different spot that you're in. And I, myself, I'm still just kind of readjusting my expectations from what they typically used to be. And I know that doesn't sit well with some and never will, um, but there's still a lot to like about this team, even if they're not as dominant as they were once upon a time. The goal is that you hopefully get back to that point. you got to start somewhere. And again, uh, I'm not going to dwell too much on what could have happened. Uh, we can deal with that when you come across that again. If they bow out in the round of 32 or something, you look back on the season, you say where it could have gotten better, things like that. But for right now, uh, you pull out a win like that, no matter how you got it done, I'm going to celebrate three wins in a row. Uh, so that was good. But yeah, quite a quite a crazy finish there. BU grad 21, in regards to a post Ashley put up this weekend, what are your thoughts on Scott Drew and company possibly moving away from the one-and-done model? I think we have had a ton of talent, but a lack of vets has really hurt us these last two seasons, and they just played one of the more veteran-laden teams in TCU uh, last night, uh, right? I mean, they've got a pretty old roster. Ten, ten seniors. Ten seniors, yeah. It was with the, the number that I saw last night, which is just crazy. Um, but we have seen since the national championship, uh, Scott Drew's been putting guys in the NBA draft. They've had a nice little run of lottery picks. Um, Going to continue that again this year, most likely. Uh, but, you know, would you trade that for what got them their – title and that was a senior laden veteran laden transfer laden team um unique circumstances you know is that a once in a lifetime type of a run can you really replicate that is that the right formula I mean that's obviously what uh everybody's wondering is if that's the the better way for Baylor to win big in the long run what are your thoughts on the one and done model and and kind of how they've managed and and worked all of that here recently and, and what they should do moving forward 
I mean, to me, I, I think they actually still have the formula correct. And I know that's going to come across weird to some people, but I mean, like the 2022 season with Jeremy Sohan, like the guy was not even a top 40 recruit and he ends up going top 10, but you couldn't control that, right? You didn't foresee that he was for sure going to be a lottery pick after that year. Cause imagine if he's on the team in the next year. I mean, imagine how good they would have been. And so you can't control certain things. I think this year's team really, to me, it's all about the fact that they completely missed on Dantuan Grimes, completely missed on Caleb Lohner, and Josh O hasn't developed the way that you hoped. To me, that's what this season comes down to because if those three guys were really capable of being huge, impactful players, you wouldn't have to play Miro Little as a true freshman, even though he's been fine, but you wouldn't have to play him. And then in moments where, uh, you know, Langston Love is injured, you have quality backups and quality depth because right now, you know, you have Langston Love when healthy coming off the bench, feel great about that. But aside from him, you don't feel good about anyone else really uh, carrying a huge workload. And I think a lot of that is because just misses from the transfer portal and guys not quite developing the way they hoped. But in general, I think the formula is still pretty successful for what they have. I mean, they have two guys who are um, seniors out there. You got Jaden Nunn, who's been in college for three years. You got Langston Love, who's been in college for three or four years. Like You do have the veterans mixed in with some of the young guys. And I still think that's formula for success as long as the guys who aren't your high-end recruits are developing the way you need them to. Yeah, I think uh, they captured lighting in a bottle, and that's not necessarily something you can just replicate every year. Uh, just like, let's have a bunch of guys who are old and mature and have played a ton. I mean, you can you can try to do that as best you can, but I don't think that makes a significant difference for Baylor in particular versus going and, and landing top blue chip type yeah. of guys. And I, remember, I, Davion and Maceo sat out a whole year yeah. before even playing. Like, they were with the program for two years before they played on that's that That's what I mean. You can't really replicate no, that no type way. of situation. That was a very unique to that year and as much as they meticulously planned it like it's just it's not a thing that you can just do over and over and over again so yeah I think I think it's fine I do think it's valid though if people want to wonder about that like how much are you going all in on a Keontae George and how much you know versus like I don't know maybe a more balanced roster or, or I guess I guess maybe just there's more veteran heavy. More veteran not heavy, balance, yeah, yeah, rather than a, a one and done. I, I mean, I totally understand that argument. And you know what? If they go ballot in the round of 32 again this year, then I'm sure that will only be a conversation that grows. But then we'll also be celebrating when Jacoby Walters, like a lottery pick this summer. Yeah, so, and Eves. Yeah, and Eves Missy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they can't have it every way, just just the way you like it. But um, there, there's some good and bad to both sides of it. The best teams have a mixture. Like, you want to have a superstar freshman who comes in, makes a huge impact and then you have another lottery pick to to kind of point to but then you also do want to get impactful transfers and this year they're impactful transfers you know Ray J Dennis has been good has he been the best point guard in the Big 12 no um you look at you know Jaden Nunn has finally started to play up to his potential but started slow um and then Jalen Bridges was kind of the guy who yes he returned from the team but he was also your other kind of quote-unquote transfer pickup if you know what I mean to keep you veteran heavy so a really really nice win for the Bears over TCU needed that in in a major way and uh this young team's like getting its bearings about it and you hope that they're starting to hit the the right stride at the right time um but last night very encouraging for uh the men and their win over TCU but this week will be Huge, obviously, with uh, with what's upcoming on Saturday. Doc Crowell, what are a uh, no? Uh, excuse me, 
Got like a couple of questions. We'll just pair together here. BU Bear in Arkansas. Opinions on Big 12 basketball refs, please. And then Scotty B, I wonder if the refs didn't appreciate being called out about Mac, being called out by Mac Rhodes after the Iowa State game. If that's the case, then sorry, but you need to be called out, especially if you're doing an awful job because the Big 12 deserves better officiating. So thoughts on Big 12 refereeing? Yeah, I don't think it's specific to Baylor. I've watched a lot of Big 12 games, and the officiating is College just, basketball. Yeah, call, you're right. College basketball in general. It's just inconsistent. I mean, that that's just what it is. It, it's inconsistent um, refereeing, and a lot of people want to point to one moment in particular, but just watch whole games, and they're just complete missed calls, and it definitely needs to improve and be better, um, but I will also say it's not just specific to Baylor. I don't think Baylor's getting the short end of the stick every single week or anything like that. No, I don't either, and uh, yeah, I think officiate across the board could stand to be better. I'm not one that gets bogged down with that. I kind of just take it as like it is what it is, and you've got to be better than that, and you know, if there's a game where you just get screwed over over, then that's one thing, but you know, the every single game, the, there's not a vendetta against you. I'm sorry, I know every fan base thinks that way, but they're not out to get you, and, and I just think it's more of the the uh, the just that's just the, the average around the sport is just not very great officiating, so it's just part of the, the deal, and you hope that you get the right breaks at the right time and the right crew on the right night but that's not always the case and as we've seen in the big 12 this year uh and again you can extend that out to most of college basketball but there's a shortage of great refereeing that's for that's for sure doc crow uh let's see what are anoki brechterfield's um skins on the wall for guys he's recruited himself he's been the coach of and helped develop some amazing talent including washington's natty contenders and aaron donald at Pitt. but who has he really recruited himself yeah, so in 2019, that's the season I'm going to point to because he had been at Wisconsin for four years leading up to that year, and they posted a school record 51 sacks. Uh, guys on that team, Isaiah Loudermilk, Garrett Rand, walk-on Matt Henningsen, and then freshman nose tackle Keanu B- uh, Benton. So you put that kind of together, put that on the back burner as far as guys he recruited and then developed. You also had 2015 through 2017 where they had all these big, all Big Ten selections, Alec James, Connor Sheehy, uh, Chikwe Obasei. Um, you put those guys together and they went 45 and 10 um, during their career at Wisconsin. So, really, really good. As far as lead recruiter, um, besides some of the guys I mentioned, uh, Tyler Byads, who's the center for the Cowboys, um, he was the lead recruiter for him. Isaiah Loudermilk, who's on the Steelers. Andrew Van Ginkle, who's on the Dolphins. Keanu Benton, uh, who's on the Steelers. Matt Henningsen's on the Broncos. Rodish Johnson transferred AM this year. He'll probably be an NFL player. Um, so, all those guys, you put that all together and you're looking at a very, very stout. Um, recruiting list, but then you look at guys who he developed, and I mean, you don't need to point any further than Aaron Donald. I mean, he re- he he didn't recruit him, um, but he developed him for two years, and Aaron Donald has mentioned him a lot. He's developed a whole lot of guys at various different stops, like you saw with the Washington team this year, but he's also done a nice job recruiting, even though I don't think that necessarily matters to me currently. I think it matters to me a whole lot more as how has he developed guys, because that's truly what Baylor needs going into next season and the year after. Useless Kim Degree, how are y'all feeling as we near the start of spring ball? What can should we do as fans to properly set expectations for the spring game? I don't want to enter the season expecting the world, but I don't want to be the most miserable, sour SOB on this message board. 
either. Um, I mean, as far as expectations for the spring game, I'd say don't have any uh, because they're spring games, and typically they're going to look ugly, and, and even if they look great, that doesn't really mean anything for the following season. I mean, they can be an indicator of some sort, but they're not the end-all, be-all uh, whatsoever. So just in general, like nothing specific for a mindset for the spring game, but just in general, I just, I'm just i going to go in open-minded. I, I don't think this team's beating down the door of a Big 12 championship. I also don't think they're the worst team in the Big 12. Uh, they're somewhere in the middle, and that's where they're going to be for me. I, I'm a six-wins guy, and then we can kind of go from there if they reach that point and then have room to grow next year, or if they're scraping to just try and reach that that point, that will be uh, you know a time to react accordingly. But I'm going an open-minded. I like some of the changes that they've made, but they've also made a lot of changes, and um, I don't know how good that is to keep doing year in and year out I also don't know if that's just the new norm nowadays and that's just how it's going to be most of the time so there's a lot of questions I think anybody acting and I don't think anybody is but anybody acting like they know for sure what this team is going to be um, please you know let me drink whatever you're drinking or have what you're having because I think it's so hard to tell uh, what is coming down the pipeline and and so you know Everybody celebrates the coaching hires and the new players and all that, but every school in America is doing the same thing. So are they having that great of an offseason, or is it just what everybody else is doing? Um, that's that's the fun part that we're about to find out. So at least early on, I'm going to be, again, open-minded and just be excited about football and watching this team grow. And then once we start to get into the heat of the summer and start to get closer to the season, then it's time to start getting real about expectations. But um, I think that they should be improved. I think everybody should expect them to be improved. I think people should be excited about the new faces. I think people should be excited about the roster retention. But I also think everybody should be mindful of the fact that this is very much teetering on a very fine, delicate edge right now because of the way the last couple of seasons have gone. So, um that's a lot of babble, but that's just kind of what my, my brain is is reacting to when I think of next season expectations and spring ball right now. Yeah, so for me, <clears throat> when I watch the spring game, it's about the vibe. You know, what is the vibe of the program? Is everyone excited? You know, is this a situation where, you know, they're coming out with a lot of energy? That's kind of what I want to see from a vibe standpoint. Um, expectations, I like watching individuals more so than taking apart, oh, you know, how did the defense look? How did the offense look? Because, again, it's a spring game. It doesn't really matter, honestly. But I want to see individuals stand out. That cares more to me. I'm not going to sit there and go, okay, now I know for sure this is a 5-win team or now I know for sure this is a 10-win team. I, I don't think you get that from a spring game, but you just want to see moments where guys flash and kind of show, you know, what they can be. Um, that's more so what I'm looking for going into the spring game. So expectations-wise, I don't have many, and I don't think fans should have that many outside of them looking like a competent team that is having fun playing and coming out there with energy. Yeah, that would be a nice uh, first step is to just be a positive um football team by the end of it uh, positive as in just your your feel for it uh, the look of it and the energy from it and if they can break spring and, and feel like they've kind of got their bearings that that would be great uh, but there'll still be some questions to answer I'm sure but I, I think there's positive vibes for the most part I think the best thing for this team this program will be to get the ball back out there and get off the offseason side of things for a little while because it hasn't been long but it's already been a very up and down roller coaster type couple of months and so I think rolling the footballs back out there here in a couple of weeks will be a godsend and then we can start to get a good feel for 
yeah, the energy surrounding this team. Uh, BU Baron uh, Ark uh, said as well, you know, kind of in regards to that, hope we have good chemistry should be the rate-determining step. So, you know, we should get some sense of that uh, coming up with, with practices. Zewatanejo Bear, first a PSA for those who that have not seen the questions on the message board. Useless chem degree is chem is in chemistry, not chem is in mulky, which I heard. I never understood the stance he, she was taking. Maybe it was just, what are we talking about here? I don't know. Okay. Um, I think just a, a message board name, and he's making sure that everyone knows okay. it's C-H-E-M instead of K-I-M. Uh, maybe it's the way I say it, or is it useless chem degree? Is, is that what I'm saying? I guess maybe, I don't know. On to a question I stole from another podcast. What would you change anywhere in college sports if you could go back up to 40 years with a magic wand? could be a play call, a bad penalty, or something much larger. Mine would be for the NCAA to move toward allowing NIL with very tart, tight guardrails when they lost the O'Bannon case. Yeah, that's a really good one. You know, imagine, I mean, that's gotten us to this point, really, <clears throat> in my eyes. But I, I think conference realignment in general, the decision by, and I know I don't want to point to one program because it, it, it was a thing. It's be, been a thing in the past, but when those teams uh, left the Big Twelve, I would like to see what that would have looked like had they never left. Um, so I think that's kind of where where I would look to. So A and M, Nebraska, Colorado, and Missouri. Yeah, I mean that would be a pretty stout conference right now if you had A and M, Missouri, Nebraska. Uh, not so much Colorado, but yeah, yeah. Um, Texas and Oklahoma, the original Big Twelve. Um, that would be quite something, um, but. Just didn't have the foresight, didn't have the the wherewithal, didn't have the chemistry and the money and just a variety of different things. Respect, uh, so on and so forth. The cachet uh, that you know an SEC had, um, yeah, it was a it was a really solid base for the conference that's just falling apart. So yeah, that would be very interesting to see what and what kind of level of respect and what kind of a TV contract Mm -hmm. that conference would um, be commanding right now. And they'd be in a great spot with ACC schools if that was your your league base, much better than currently. Yeah, I mean, it's a a crapshoot as far as what it all looks like moving forward. I I see a lot of uh, realignment discussion and and what – predictions are for the big 12 and all that um they're they're in a better spot than they could have ever imagined post oklahoma and texas they're not the sec or the big 10 but they're still uh, in a very good spot in comparison to oh i don't know the dead pack 12 yeah. uh, or the, the potentially dead <laughs> acc acc still has bigger brands so we we'll wait and see on that uh, everybody's already reading them last rights and i don't think we're quite that close but um yeah that's that's a really good one i i don't really have one off the top of my head um, you know, maybe what would have happened, and this isn't me personally, uh, but what if uh, Bryce Petty doesn't trip? You know, what does that look like? And then in the long run, maybe it wouldn't matter because that time period still was going to change regardless, no matter how much you won. But um, that's, a, that's a Baylor what if I always still wonder about from time to time. And there's there's others like, I don't want to bring up every heartbreak, but right. typically name a heartbreak if the result were to go the other way. Um, I know it's not really a question like, what would you change? Uh, you said NIL. Um, and I'm thinking more of like if something changed. So I'm not even really on topic here. Um, so to answer your question more specifically, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I really don't know. I'd have to give that some thought. Bears 224, but NIL is a good starting point. Like, hey, if you don't do this now, then it's going to be this in the next 10 years. I wonder if they would have gone ahead and, and been more proactive. And then again, I think a lot of the people in the vault would have been like, well, how much money are we going to make by delaying this? 
oh, $20 million. Okay, let's let's still do this and drag this out and then hope for government intervention because it's all a money grab anyways. Uh, Bears 224, how do you compare the three new coaches we just hired compared to their predecessors, better, worse, equivalent? Um, I actually think on the field, I think Mason Miller is going to be probably equivalent, if not better, than Coach Cap. I do think Cap probably has the advantage recruiting-wise. Um, so I'll call it equivalent, I would say, <clears throat> would be where I would go with that. Um, Jamar Chaney, Christian Robinson, I'm going to say equivalent. I, I don't see much of a difference. They're both really good recruiters, but still a lot to prove as far as you know how great are they as coaches. Um, so I'll say equivalent there. Brechterfield versus uh, Dennis Johnson's really interesting. I think it's kind of similar to what I talked about with um, the first one. I think that Dennis Johnson's the better recruiter, but Brechterfield has a lot more experience, a lot more skins on the wall, and I, I just think um, technically, I, I like technique wise and coaching wise, I think he might be the better guy, um, and and DJ's probably the better recruiter. Fair enough. So there you go. There's a little breakdown to round out the mailbag. Bears 224. Hopefully that answers your question. And um, thank you for the question along with everybody else for uh, diving into the mailbag uh, that contributed this week. And uh, we always appreciate that and welcome that. So always uh, be on the lookout each week for the thread that Grayson will start the day or so before uh, where you can put all your mailbag questions and get those over to us. Uh, We do uh, always love answering those. So uh, that'll about do it here uh, for this week's edition of the BearCast. Anything before we go, Grayson? No, just be sure to check out the premium side. Ashley has all kinds of content as well as Kindle on the basketball side as things get uh Get ready for March. You know, we're about to turn that page. And then football-wise, just be ready for uh, visits coming up soon. And, of course, camps and then uh, various things like that. Baseball with Levi. Lots of news and information. So be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium. Yep, a lot of talk, too, about just it's the offseason. So you got a lot of talk about, like you mentioned, the ACC and the realignment thread that's been ongoing now for, like, I don't know, months and months and months. That's always you can dive into that if you need a little just, like, kill some time and read some interesting stuff. So realignment, basketball, baseball, softball, and then football spring practices and so on and so coaching hires. Uh, it's still remaining busy, even though it's technically the quote-unquote offseason. So, uh, yeah, appreciate everybody for being a part of the show this week. Uh, thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes. And for Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke. If you haven't already, if you're watching us on Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page, uh, please hit that like and subscribe bu- button. And, uh, yeah, I think that about does it for this week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday at 11 a.m. live on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page. Until next time, I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the BearCast.